Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. We're going to be talking a little while about a proper perspective, getting the right perspective on where you are and what you may be going through. Now, I wanted to update you. So many of you have been praying for our family. I shared a little bit with you last weekend what's going on, and I want to share a little more today. Uh, as you know, my daughter-in-law, Whitney, and son, Billy, Billy plays, he's off this weekend, but he's playing, he's our, our drummer. Uh, they were pregnant with a, a baby that the specialist said had a, a condition called trisomy 18. And I'd never heard of it before that, though we have found out we had a couple of members of our church that have actually had that experience and have been a huge help to them. Uh, the doctor said, the specialist said that the little one probably would not be able to be carried full term. Uh, but she was, she was carried full term. And then they said that she probably would not be with us after she was born. But she uh, was born Monday and uh, she's still with us. And so we are very, very happy. Um, un- unfortunately, uh, th- her little heart has not developed as it should and her little uh, kidneys haven't done. haven't developed as they should. So they're telling us she's gonna be with us uh, hours, maybe days. So we're enjoying her uh, while we have her. Uh, And I have a picture of her. Would you like to meet my newest grandbaby? This is, um, yeah, you granddads busting out the pictures of your grandbabies, just wearing, I got a captive audience. You guys aren't going anywhere for a little while. I hope not. (laughs) So I'm just gonna talk about Everly May. No, I'm not, she's, uh, we call her Evie, and she is so, she's so precious. We're just enjoying every moment we have with her. And I, and I was holding her the other day, I was thinking about it, we were talking about it. You know, all of our lives are here just for a period of time. You cannot evaluate the success of a person's life by the length of years. Uh, you know how you evaluate it? Now the world will evaluate a successful life this way. They say, well, it's beauty, <laughs> it's bucks, it's brains, and it's brawn. <laughs> and if you've got those, you're a success. But can I tell you, God's economy is much different. You know how you evaluate a successful life? It's not by the length of days that someone is here. Here it is. It's the impact that person makes while they're here. And I can tell you, that little booger has made an amazing impact on, on our life. I really will pull this together. (laughs) Uh, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about what Solomon wrote about, and it really came to mind as I was holding her, that he said in Ecclesiastes 3, right? To everything there is a season, a season. We're in a season. I'm in a bad season right now, I'll be honest with you. But here's what I know about seasons. They They don't stay, they come to go, right? Uh, there's an expression you see in the scripture, and it came to pass. <laughs> I love what one pastor says, thank God it didn't come to stay. It came to pass, right? 
So we're in a season. Some of you are in a great season, and I've been in great seasons too. We've had both. Cindy and I have had mountaintop experiences. This church has been an incredible season for our life, uh, starting with 20 people in the high school auditorium with nothing, literally nothing, and God has brought thousands of people here. It's an amazing season. So you've had seasons, I've had seasons, but you're gonna go through seasons. Uh, life is made up of feast and famine. There are times where you will uh, advance and there are times where you will retreat. There are times where good things will happen and times where bad things will happen. It's just life, Solomon said, is made up of seasons. And then he said, but, but to everything there is a season and there is a time, he said, to every purpose under heaven. Here's what I know, as long as you have purpose, God gives you time. I know our little one will be here as long as she has purpose. There's a purpose for her little life, as brief as it may be, and God will continue to give her that life as long as she has purpose for her being here, just like me. I mean, I was talking to somebody, and this, you, know, you guys know about my skin cancer thing. I had the thing last month deal. Good Lord, I'm so far down on the priority of what I'm dealing with right now, but I'll just share this anyway. I've already ran it out. Gotta finish my thought. Uh, the doctor was saying, well, you know, Bill, if this thing is metastasized somewhere in your body, as we suspect that it probably has, you're only gonna be here about three years. Now, that was a little dose of reality I got about five weeks ago. And I remember looking at him and said, that can't happen. <laughs> and he looked kind of puzzled. I said, you don't understand how much I have to do. There's, I, there's no way I can die. I got to, I got to, I'm too busy to die. Anybody can relate to that? And you know why I knew I wasn't gonna die? I got too much to do. To everything there is a season and a time to every, I have purpose. I mean, I, I have my family still, I have to take care of Cindy. You know, I've got kids and grandkids to take care. I gotta wear you people out every weekend. There's a lot I have to do. And so I, I had this assurance in my heart that I, everything's gonna be okay. And I really do think I've got a handle on it. I think if you can help me and you help get a handle on your stuff, I think we all understand we're gonna be here as long as God has a purpose for us. In fact, while we're here in the seasons we go through as the last series we discovered is that Romans 8.28 is true. All things tend to work together for good to those who love the Lord and those who are called to his purpose. He didn't say everything's good because God knows it's not. He's saying that everything has the power to work together for good if you really love God and there's a calling on your life. So I believe with all my heart, God has a purpose, he has a plan, he's taking the things that happen in my life, in your life today, he's sculpting us, he's shaping us, he's using those things to mold and make us into the image of his son. So again, I wanna talk to you just for a few moments this morning about trying to get a proper perspective. And this is important because sometimes, and at, only, and at certain times, only the artist, only the artist can see the beauty in what he's working on. Now God is an artist, he is a creator. He is an incredible artist and sitting in front of me and watching online are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of his masterpieces. You're a work of art. You are uh, his poem. We talked about we are his poetry a couple of weeks ago. God is doing something significant in your life and you will go through periods of time <laughs> where only he will see the beauty in the experience. When the art is not complete and someone may look at it and scratch their head and say, I'm not sure what it is you're trying to make, the artist knows exactly what they're trying to make. Let me ask you something. Have you ever looked at a piece of art and had to have someone explain it to you? Let me ask you another question. Have you ever been to the Modern Art Museum? I remember on a field trip, when I was a kid, we went to the Museum of Modern Art in Fort Worth. It's really a great place. 
But I'll be honest with you, there were several works of art in there that I did not, shall we say, appreciate, because <laughs> I did not understand. <laughs> and people, it was so funny, there were people who were actually taking notes as they studied the art, and I'm looking at what they're looking at, and I'm not getting at all what it is they're getting. It, it made no, now, I could go right up a block to the, uh, uh, the, the, the art, Western art, right? The, and I get everything in there, horse, cow, <laughs> cowboy, cowgirl, rattlesnake, scaring horse, I get that. I don't need anyone to say, well, there's a nuance in that painting there as the horse is frightened from the, you know, I don't need that. I, I have actually, it, it, is, uh, it is easy for me to ascertain, I get it. When Cindy was in college, we hadn't been married very long, uh, she took a course that required her to go to the Scott Theater and study interpretive dance. Now, I'm not hating on you. If that melts your butter, go for it, baby. I am not, don't send me any hate. We got some interpretive dancers in our church even, and I have an appreciation for what, I don't get it, but I have an appreciation for what you do. I, I, I grew up Baptist, so we didn't dance, you know. That's how that goes. Uh, so I, I never really, I, I don't have the gift, shall we say, of coordination. I can chew gum and walk, but beyond that. They've tried weddings, they'll try to drag me out on the dance floor. One of my favorite movies was Hitch. You remember Hitch? Where he's trying to teach him how to dance. Uh, what was, Kevin, was it Kevin Hart? And, and, uh, and uh, uh, anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, and, and so he told him, and I can relate to that. He said, keep it right here, baby. Keep it right, this is where you live. You don't live out here, you live right here. So when those times I've been drug out on the dance floor, I keep, I keep it here, I keep it here. Because I don't live out there, I can't do that. I'm not very good at that. And those people, they did all this crazy interpreted, one of the guys, it looked like he had been spray painted into his tights. I've never seen a man in tights that, that tight. And so, I'm, so while everybody else is studying the interpretive art, I'm thinking, how in the heck do you get into those things? And isn't that uncomfortable? I bet he can hit a high C in those deals. I mean, I'm just, and then I'm thinking, man, it's gonna take three of his buddies to pull him out of those things. I don't get, and people are taking notes, and I'm thinking, I don't, I'm not do -si do square dancing. I get all that, right? Boot scoot boogie, I understand that. But a disco, I even get disco, but I didn't get interpretive dance. It is an art form, a beautiful, they say, art form, but it, sometimes it, you have some explaining to do, right? It doesn't always, is not always that easy to understand. I say all that to say this. You and I will go through seasons of life where only God understands. We're gonna look like we've been spray painted into a situation. We're gonna look like we're uncoordinated. We're gonna look like we're unsophisticated. We're gonna look like all kinds of stuff because we're going through something that makes no sense. Uh, even the people closest to us may not be able to make sense of it, but I'm suggesting to you this morning, God knows what he's doing. And in your life and mine, he is creating something. He's creating something that is unique. He is creating something that is significant. He is creating something that with purpose, and he's creating something he ultimately is going to use for our good, for his glory. In fact, look with me in Acts chapter 28. Let's continue on, uh, Acts 8 rather, and verse 28, 29, 30. Look here, in verse 29 he says, for those God foreknew, now a couple of weeks I told you about foreknowledge, how that speaks of the sovereignty of God. What is meant by foreknowledge is everything. God knows everything. Nothing catches him by surprise. 
He knows it before it's going to happen. He has foreknowledge. His foreknowledge means that God uh, is the alpha. He's the omega. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. And because his sovereignty and because he knows what I will do and he knows what I will not do, it then enacts the next word, which is predestination. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. He predetermined is another way of looking at that. Okay, let's piece that together. God knew what I would do and what I would not do, and so he predetermined certain events in my life as a result of that. God knew Bill will do this, he will not do that, so because I know what he's going to do when placed in that circumstance, I'm gonna predetermine certain things, events, people, that will come into his life that will help form him, shape him, mold him, make him, so that ultimately, here's what my plan is. I want him to be conformed into the image of my son. So God knows what I'll do, he knows what you won't do, and but based upon what we will and we will not do, based upon our free choice, he has predetermined certain events that will happen into our life, and if we'll continue to cooperate in the process, ultimately, it conforms us into the image of his son. What does that mean? That means somebody will look at your life and mine and see a little bit of who Jesus is. Somebody will look at how I handle adversity or how I handle success, how I handle a good thing or a bad thing, and he ultimately will see God working in and through that situation. It's being conformed into the image of his son. Now, what works on you might not work on me. Uh, we, we have, do you have a child that responds to the tone of your voice? You can just drop the tone. Honey, no. You, you have a child, they'll melt down, right? You can just raise your voice a little bit and they just cry. Isn't it wonderful to have a child like that? How many of you have a child like that? You have that, aren't those compliant children? They're few, they're few and far between. They're, they're like Bigfoot sightings in the room here this morning. I only had like six hands went up. They're rare, they're rare. They're, they're usually called firstborn children because you don't usually have a second one if you have the strong-willed one first. But the point is that, that is a, it's a beautiful experience. You know what, some of you guys are wonderful works of art in that you respond to the touch of the artist. You're yielding to his control. He's like the potter on the potter's wheel, Jeremiah said. And you respond like clay to the touch of his hand. And don't you know that type of, of, of art is a joy for the potter. You're responsive when God says no, you just take him at his word. When he says yes, you, you do what he says. When he says trust me, you trust him. When he says don't do that, it's gonna hurt you. You say oh, yes sir, I won't do that, I don't wanna be hurt. And you are responsive. And then you have that other child. <laughs> you have the wise and then you have the other wise, right? You have that strong, I was a strong-willed child, so I can talk about my people. And that's the one that takes a little more to get them where, that's the one that you say, honey, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt, don't do that, it's gonna hurt. Oh, did it hurt? Oh, dear Lord, yes, it did hurt. I told you it would hurt, right? And sometimes that child only learns by their experience. They have to kind of go through some stuff. And so I'm just suggesting that our heavenly father, our great artist, our creator, our great God knows how we're made up. For some of us, it takes a little stronger hand in our life to get us to respond. For others, it's a softer touch that gets us to respond. I mean, like we've said, some people respond when they see the light. Some people respond when they feel the heat. <laughs> it's all motivation. And I'm just suggesting you that God, he can be trusted because he knows us. He made us. 
He knows the type of art we are. He knows, uh, am I dealing with stone or wood? Am I dealing with a canvas or clay? What, what type of art uh, am I dealing with out here? How have I made you? And once you understand, everything that happens in our life happens according to a plan, a design. God is at work, and at the end result of what he's trying to do is get us to be a reflection of who he is. Remember when he created man, the Bible says in Genesis, let us make man in our image. It's called Imago Dei, the image of God. And man, because of sin, the image was marred. We're in the marred image of God now. So God is working to recreate us into the original model of what he originally intended us to look like. So everything in life happens according to a plan, a design. He's sculpting us this morning so that the end result is somebody will see Jesus in me. That somebody will see him in you. Now notice what he says. He's creating us and conforming us in the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's an expression in the Jewish culture. The firstborn had the birthright, was kind of a favored child. And so these things happen. The idea there is so that Jesus gets the preeminence as the firstborn. Everything happens to accentuate or to bring him glory. And he says this process we're in this morning ultimately is bringing him glory and those he predestined, he's determining, predetermining things in our life, he said he also called. Now I dealt with that last weekend, how everyone who is in this relationship with God, in this process, everyone has been called. I said the call of God is universal. The call of God is not exclusive. The call of God is inclusive. God doesn't just love a few of us. He loves all of us. Uh, election and predestination doesn't mean God has selected certain people to heaven and others to hell. The Bible says, for whosoever will, let him call on the name of the Lord. Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come to me. Jesus said, those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that <laughs> he gave his only begotten son. Second Peter 3.9 says that God is not willing that any, not many, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the call of God is universal. It is to every single solitary person, the call of God has gone out. He desires to have a relationship with everyone. And last weekend I said, if you're sensitive and listening, you realize there's no accident you're in this room this morning. You're here by a divine design because God's calling to you. It may be for some of you to come back to him. It may be for others of you to connect with him. It may be for some of you just to trust in him, to rely on him. He may have just brought you here so that something in a song or in communion or something that I share might be just God's way of giving you a thumbs up that things are going to be okay, he's got this. My point is the call of God is to all of us, for all of us. And once you respond, when you exercise your free choice to say, yes, Lord, I respond. Yes, Lord, I will receive you. The Bible says, and this is what I want to deal with, those he called, he justifies. When you are connected to your creator, one of the incredible things he does for you is he justifies you. Now, that's a term we use loosely and we throw it around kind of as a pejorative way in that we'll say something like this. You're just trying to justify your actions. You're just making an excuse to justify your behavior. And so we use that expression sometimes in a, in, a, in a negative connotation. But the reality of it is it's one of the greatest biblical truths because it talks about, listen to this, how our artist views his art. 
It talks about how our God sees his creation. Once we have exercised our free choice to respond to his call and we received his gift to respond to him in salvation, the thing he does in that moment is he justifies us. Now justification, listen, is the act of God whereby God uh, calls that which has responded to him or those who have responded to him, he calls them righteous. It's the act of God whereby he calls those who have responded to him righteous. Now, we, we use the term sometimes, I've been pardoned from my sin. You see that line in a lot of songs we'll sing. That's a great line, it's a great reality too. But to be pardoned, when the court pardons someone, it doesn't declare them innocent, it just says they don't have to serve out the rest of their sentence, they've been pardoned. But when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he does more than pardon you, he purifies you. There's not a court in the land that has the power to justify. You know why? They don't have all the facts about me or you. The only one that knows us better than we know ourselves is our creator. Listen, he is the only one that has the power to justify. What does justify mean? Let me give it to you, break it down. You want me to break it down? It means to put you in a position to where you are just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, clean, pure. Now, this is how God sees his kids. God sees his kids, when you're in a relationship with him, he sees you as justified, clean, clear, pure. That's why Paul, when you read up in Romans eight, you read verse one, here's how he opens it. There is therefore now no condemnation. To who? To those who are in Christ Jesus. When you are positionally in Christ Jesus, when you have received him as your savior, he justifies you. You know what the exact opposite thing of justification is? Condemnation, the exact opposite. And there's so many people that goes around with this feeling of condemnation. In fact, the Bible says a person without Jesus, read John 3, 18, is condemned already. That's why when you think about that, condemned already, it's like you're sitting on death row. What could someone sitting on death row do to be more condemned than they already are? That's why when you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're just trying to conjure up good works to kind of earn favor with God, there's nothing you can do if you're sitting on spiritual death row condemned already. There's nothing you can do to be less condemned than you already are or to be more condemned than you already are. <laughs> But once you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, he goes to the other side of condemnation. He says, you are justified. So if God doesn't condemn you, why are you condemning yourself? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So when I am justified, when I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ where he has declared me righteous, that means I, I don't have condemnation. You read on in Romans eight, he talks about second value. He says, let me give it to you in the King Jimmy. He said, who shall lay anything to the charge of my elect? Meaning who can charge anything against you? Meaning there's no guilt. There's no guilt. You know why guilt works? You know why guilt works? Because most of the time we're guilty, <laughs> right? It works because we're kind of guilty. And the Bible is interesting. You know what the Bible calls the devil? The accuser of the brothers and sisters, the accuser. He's an accuser. So he's always going before God saying, you know what Ramsey did, you know what she did, you know what he did, let me tell you what he did. And we know he's accusing us before God and all of a sudden we come into church with our head held down. Or we get out of church and we say, well, if I go, the building will fall in on me. 
Or someone else says, well, I don't go to church because there's so many hypocrites in there. I always say, oh, come on, one more, you ain't gonna hurt anything. The point is we walk around with our head down. Kind of reminds me of that old shaggy dog and the dog pound. And uh, he, he was just all sad and forlorn. All of a sudden this little cute poodle kind of trotted by and stopped and looked at him and said, hey, big boy, what's your name? He looked back at that cute poodle. He says, I don't know, I think it's down boy. Uh, yeah, here's the point. Some people just, you, you, you talk yourself down all the time. Why? The guilt. Guilt's a terrible thing, man. It'll take the joy out of your life. It'll suck the happiness right out of your life. Guilt's a powerful thing, but let me tell you something. When you receive Jesus Christ as your savior, all of the sins he paid for at the cross, that payment is appropriated to you, as we're gonna see in a moment. Meaning you're clean, you're clear. You're declared righteous. God doesn't see your past. He doesn't see the present things you may be doing that you're not proud of or even the mistakes you may make in your future. He sees you as being in Christ. You are justified, just as if you'd never sinned. Paul said there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. And the third thing he says about it, read on in Romans 8. He said there's no separation. What shall separate us from the love of God? Well, height or depth or angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come. And then he just wraps it up. He said, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, there is nothing you can do to be more loved by God. And there's nothing you could do this morning to be less loved by God. His love is perfect. And he may only see the beauty in your art, he may only see the beauty in your life, but when you have responded to his call, who he calls, he justifies. And this morning he sees you as beautiful, he sees you as perfect, he sees you as not condemned, not guilty, not separated from his presence. Why? He has justified us. How did he do it? First thing is, he justified us through Jesus. It comes through Jesus. There's no way in the world that I could ever be justified apart from Jesus. So this was purchased through Jesus, number one. It was a sacrifice of Jesus that makes justification possible. Give you a great verse, Romans chapter five, verse nine. We are now justified, how? By the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we now have this wonderful reality of being justified by God. Now understand this, one of the greatest words that could be used to describe God is the word holy, holy. In Isaiah six, when the angels see him and Isaiah has that vision of God, the angels are circling the throne of God and here's what they're saying about him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the Bible says the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. So you have the angels describing God as holy. If I had one word to describe God, I would say the word is holy. And because God is holy, he cannot look upon nor can he condone sin. So if I'm gonna be in a relationship with God, what am I gonna do with my sin, right? I'm messed up, you're messed up. We came into the world with a sin nature. So if God is holy who cannot look upon or condone sin, something has to happen with sin. So you have the sacrificial system throughout the Old Testament where there would be a sacrifice without spot or blemish that would be offered. And in offering of the sacrifice, the sins of the people would be rolled forward for a year until the next sacrifice that would happen. 
But one day on the banks of the Jordan River in John uh, chapter one, uh, John shaded his eyes from the sun and he looked and he saw Jesus and he said, here comes God's sacrifice, Jesus, that will take away the sins of the world. And a holy and righteous God allowed the sins of the world, past, present, and future, to be rolled upon Jesus at the cross. That's why you have that moment at the cross when Jesus, when the father turns his back on his son and Jesus cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason the father turned the back for a moment on his son while he was on the cross is at that moment Jesus had, Christ had become so completely sin for us that a holy God cannot look upon sin. And once the satisfaction of God on sin through the sacrifice of Jesus was made, the father embraces the son and he rises from the dead, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. So today, I have justification, not through anything that I've done, but through everything that Jesus did. What happens to me when I respond to the call of God, what happens to you when you respond to the call of God, is we walk back there to the cross and we say, Jesus, we accept your payment for our sin. I can't pay for my sin. It'd take me an eternity to work that off. But you being fi uh, infinite did in a finite period of time what me being finite would have to do in an infinite period of time. So I'll accept your sacrifice for my sin. And once I responded to the sacrifice of his sin, he says, well, Bill, I am going to now justify you. I'm going to forgive you. It's a powerful reality that when you trust Jesus Christ as your savior, he forgives every sin. You say, well, Bill, what about the sins I may commit later today? Or what about the sins I may commit tomorrow? Or what about the sins I've committed since I've been in here in the room? <laughs> I mean, the reality is you never stop sinning. You never stop failing. The reality, here, here's the reality of it. The reality is once you belong to him and you're a child of God, it, it's not being punitive. He's not judging us for sin. When you study the scripture, you find judgment is reserved for the wicked in the last day. For people who ultimately reject God and say, we don't have anything to do with you, we'll take what, what's coming to us, we don't have anything with you, God says judgment is reserved for that group. He doesn't judge his kids. There's not a parent in the room that would describe disciplining your child as judgment. <laughs> you don't go over there and smite them hip and thigh. You don't go Old Testament on their little backsides. No parent in the room does that. But every parent in the room understands chastisement, discipline. Now, what are you doing? It's not punitive. You're correcting a behavior because you're shaping character. You're saying to this child, if you continue in this pattern, it's going to affect your life. And as your parent, I'm not gonna let you do that. So I'm gonna correct the behavior. And so you make decisions for your child that will ultimately discipline them to correct behavior. That's all God does with his kids. He doesn't judge you, he does. here's why. All your sins are covered. It was covered at the cross. What we deal with as Christ followers are just consequences of bad choices, right? And the reason sometimes he allows those consequences to come to fruition is because he says, I think they'll learn something from that, so I'm gonna let the consequence happen. Now sometimes he'll hold back the consequence there's a verse in the Bible that says if, if God dealt with every, uh, 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 every um, uh, issue that we've done, every sin that we've committed, who could stand? Meaning none of us would, would make it if he dealt with every crazy thing we think or do. So obviously he lets a lot of stuff skate. How does he do that and still be just? He puts it back there against the cross. Remember the hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. All your sins are covered at the cross. Past, present, future. Unless you were born before the first century when Jesus died, all the sins that Jesus paid for on the cross were in the future. 
So does that mean the moment you receive him and respond to his call that he only forgives you for the sins that you've committed up to that point? (laughs) And going forward, I don't know. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Who knows? Better ask Jesus, save me again. John didn't say, you must be born again and again and again and again. No, because all all sins were in the future. He didn't have to come back and die again for whatever stupid stuff I may do before I die. All my sins are, here's what it looks like. When he's your father and he's justified you, the consequences of bad behavior come to fruition or they don't. And that's all in his hands. You see how that works? So don't go around feeling like, you know, oh man, God's mad at me or whatever. Or there's a, no, no, sometimes God allows fruition to come to reality for some bad choices because he's correcting bad behavior, because he's shaping your character, because he's trying to get you to find purpose so you can be a reflection of who he is. But it's not punitive. He's not punishing you. It's chastisement, whom the Lord loves, Hebrews 12 says. He corrects every child in whom the Father delights. He loves you, so he'll correct you from time to time. It's not judgment, it's not punitive. He's just saying, don't do that. It hurt, didn't it? Don't do that again. So it's purchased through Jesus. Here's the second thought. Notice it purchased through Jesus. Get this now. It's provided through grace. I told you last week, and let me just touch it real quick. The Bible says in Romans 2.15 that God's law is written on everyone's heart. John 1 says, he is the light that lights everyone who comes into the world. Meaning that there is an awareness of God in the heart of every person, no matter where they are on the earth. That's why, as I told you, when you study every people group anywhere in the world you wanna study, no matter how primitive they may be, what you will find that's unique is you'll find they have a form of worship. Where do you get that idea? It's God's law written on their heart. Something tells a person, even in the most primitive uh, primitive parts of the world, something tells them in their heart, there's a God out there somewhere. And this God out there somewhere is holy. And and my fear is because I know me and I know I'm not, I may have to stand before him one day. And so I, I need to be justified so I'm in a right relationship so that when I meet him, he will receive me. So you see sometimes these cultures will sacrifice themselves, they'll cut themselves. Some cultures will worship uh, totem poles or other images. Some cultures will worship different types of animals and they'll sacrifice other things. Some cultures are so primitive they'll even sacrifice children, why? Because something in their heart is telling them there is a God and I'm gonna stand before this God and I'm not ready to stand before this God and I need to do something so that I can be justified in the eyes of God. And can I tell you, there's so many people that still feel that way. Years ago, Cindy and I were in Mexico City and we were going to one of the largest Catholic churches in the world, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's a huge church. In fact, I joke with some of my pastor friends when we get into this, who's got the biggest church? Kind of a crazy junk that nobody cares about. And uh, I say, well, hey, you know, if you're into nickels and noses, why don't you go down and... uh, why don't you check out Our Lady of Guadalupe on Easter weekend? They have a quarter of a million people. So uh, strut on that one there, pal, partner. <laughs> I think about that. You, you, how close are you getting to that? 250,000. If it's just about the number of people you get in your building, you're way behind. My point is we went down this massive church, right? Huge. And what was interesting about it is we were driving. There's this um, like a six-lane road that kind of leads to like a big parkway, and it's got a divided roadway. And I noticed this little lady as she was carrying her baby on her back and she's on her knees and she's like just kind of crawling on her knees toward the church. And we pull up to a light and I watched her and I was just kind of transfixed by that and I asked the missionary, I said, what's, 
what's, what's that? What's going on? And he says, There's, she's like so many people that she feels like as she's going to church, she feels like before she could ask God for forgiveness, he needs to know how sorry she is for her sin. And she feels like that if she can just show God how sorry and broken he is, that she can somehow bend his heart to be merciful toward her and be willing to forgive her. And I thought when I saw that, I just, you wanted to hug that lady. You want to say to her, sweetheart, the grace of God is extended to you. Grace means you don't have to do anything to earn it. You, you don't have to hurt enough to have it. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. He loves you. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinful, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, 8 says, it's by grace are you saved through faith, not, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, his gift, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But ladies and gentlemen, there's so many people, and maybe you don't go that far to that extreme, but you have trouble accepting the reality that God loves you and he will receive you if you'll just ask him, you think, it can't be that easy. It can't be that easy. I mean, I, I just feel like for my past and the things that I've done or the mistakes that I've, it just, it can't, it can't be that easy. Let me tell you, it's not that easy. Jesus did all the heavy lifting at the cross, but the work is done. Jesus said at the cross, remember the last words he said on the cross? Uh, Tetelestai. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. That wouldn't have surprised anyone for a dying man to say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. What was he talking about? He was talking about all the work necessary for a person to have their sins forgiven. The work is done. So the grace of God is extended to you. So all you have to do is receive it. It's a gift, right? You receive it. Purchased through Jesus. Provided through grace. Here's the last one. It's possible through faith. It's possible through faith. What is faith? It's my believing. It's my willingness to accept the gift. Uh, if you read Romans chapter four, read the first five or six verses there in Romans chapter four, it's powerful. Paul writing to Jewish people who were wrapped up in religion and had trouble embracing the idea of a relationship. And Paul said, well, let's pick on our patriarch of our faith, Abraham. They said, what is it, Paul opens with Romans 4, what is it that Abraham, the father of our faith, what is it that Abraham found? What, what did he discover? How was Abraham justified? How was Abraham made right in the eyes of God? And he answers his question. He says, Abraham believed God. That's faith. Abraham believed God and it, that faith, was counted unto him for righteousness. That word counted is, a, is a, a mathematical, it's an accounting term. It means it was, it was put on his, righteousness was put on his account. In fact, he goes down a little further in Romans 4 and he quotes David back in the Psalms where he says, David says, blessed is the man on whose account God will put no sin. Now in theological terms, we call it the doctrine of imputation. <laughs> imputation. It means on my account, there was sin. On my account was pride and lying and all kinds of these bad, ugly things. That's what was on my account. And if I die with those things on my account because God is holy, right? He can't look upon sin, I'm toast, literally. <laughs> but what happens when I receive Jesus and I go to the cross, he takes all of his righteousness, he takes all of his purity and he puts that on my account and he takes all that was wrong about me and he puts that on his account. It is the great exchange and you have the imputation of God's righteousness on his children and the imputation of their sin on his sacrifice at the cross and it's this exchange where God does not impute my sin to my account. The hymn writer said Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, right? 
Sin left the crimson stain. He washed it all white as snow. So what happens when you believe is the righteousness of Jesus that, that was gained at the cross is put on your account. And all the sins that you've been bearing in your life were placed on his cross. And now today you find yourself responding to the call and being, you ready? Justified, justified freely. Walk out of this room this morning with your head held high, knowing God sees you as his child, you're a saint. Have you ever thought of yourself as a saint? <laughs> Straighten your crown, sweetheart, you're a saint. You're a saint. Read Ephesians 1, when he's writing to the Christ followers of Ephesians, he says to the saints, right? Uh, James was writing in James 1, to the saints scattered, saints. Uh, I told you last week, and there's just two classes of people, they're just saints and the ain'ts. <laughs> and when you know Jesus, you're his child. He sees you justified. You're a child of God, man. You're a saint. You can't lose your salvation. Second Timothy says, even if you deny him, he will not deny you. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. His Holy Spirit has sealed you. And you know how long you're good? Until the day of redemption. He's gonna pop the top one day in his presence and you're home. That's, that's, is that the right expression? Pop the top. That has kind of a double entendre, doesn't it? Um, but he, I meant the seal, right? One day you're gonna be in his presence and he's gonna say, now, you're good. You're good to go. So until then, man, don't let condemnation, don't let that creep in. Don't allow the guilt, don't allow the feelings of being separated from God. Don't, don't let that happen to you. Understand who you are. Walk out of here firm in your faith saying, I have received the call of God, I responded to it, he has justified me. You're as good for heaven, guys, as if you were already there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the certainty that we have, that we can know that we know that we know Jesus. And I pray for my friends this morning who may never have trusted you, that they'll respond to your call, they'll humble their heart, receive your forgiveness, that they will then understand that when you have forgiven their sin, you justify them. You call them righteous. You bring them into their family. You see them as a son and a daughter, and you never forsake them. And they began a process of being conformed into the image of your son. You want us to look like our father. And so, Father, I pray this morning we'll see your hand at work in our life. For others who need someone just to pray for them, encourage them before they go, I, I pray as soon as I dismiss, they'll find their way here to the front. Let someone spend just a few minutes just to pray for them, to love on them and encourage them before they go. And I pray, Father, you'll bless us. Make this a great, productive week. Lord, we, we don't always know what tomorrow holds, but we know you, you hold tomorrow, so we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for being here, folks. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.